Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On tonight's episode, we have part three of Ashes, Ashes, They All Fall Down. In the story so far, Secretary Lucius Matheson has resolved several of the Guild's most pressing problems and curried considerable favour with Governor-General Marlowe. But as always, Lucius has his own motivations. All will become clear in the conclusion of our story, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Collodi's Puppet Theatre. Come and see the world's finest marionettes performing for your amusement. Bring the kids, they'll die laughing, we promise. The next morning found Lucius and his retinue preparing to head into the hills. Most visitors' first impressions of Malifaux was of a loud, rowdy city, full of desperate souls who couldn't make a life back on earth. They assumed that all the towns were the same, only because they hadn't travelled to the outer settlements. Ridley's residents were tenacious and obstinate, refusing to lie down when life did its best to extinguish their very existence, and many had experienced the worst that earth had to offer. But. They hadn't yet suffered through this world's attempts to destroy them. Breaking a mind forged in strife was one of Lucius' greatest joys. Birmingham flipped through a thick file that he held in his arms. According to the reports, the Guild lost contact with Settlement 37J three days ago, the lawyer informed the group. It seems they never renamed the town. The map indicates that it is midway between Ridley and Ten Peaks. At that instant, the scribe arrived in a hired carriage. One could find someone willing to do just about anything for the right amount of scrip in the outer towns. The party squeezed themselves into the coach. To settlement 37J, Birmingham called out as he banged on the roof. We call that one that would, the coachman grunted. We don't care, Birmingham snapped. The scribe scratched his observations into a heavy ledger for Lucius to go over later. Springs under the carriage squeaked. Horse hooves thudded over the packed dirt road. The red rocks that smelled a bit of rust or blood eventually gave way to foothills and pockets of tall forests. The trees glistened with a caustic sap that encouraged creatures tempted to feed on them to look elsewhere. Several hours later, the coachman stopped the horses. They'd arrived in a small ramshackle town that was little better than a temporary camp. It was no wonder they'd never named it. Wait here for us to return, Birmingham ordered the coachman, with a necessary condescension. The wind whistled through the empty wooden buildings. There was no wood smoke on the air. Settlement 37J was just as empty as they'd reported. 
Something tickled Lucius' mind. He turned toward the nearest copse of trees. This way. With long, easy strides, he made his way into the forest. His party followed him without a second thought. As they entered the line of the trees, even the wind died. They crept forward. A strange, hollow rattling sound surrounded them. Lucius couldn't hold in his sigh. Puppets. Just as he'd suspected. The first construct emerged from the trees, its limbs twitching as it lurched towards them. Its mouth opened and closed, gaping like a fish. Wooden joints squeaked and rattled. A bright costume complete with hat adorned it. Lucius narrowed his eyes. This was not the child-sized marionette that he'd expected. More of the creations materialized from the tree's shadows. It appears that these devices are responsible for the incidents in the nearby towns, including Settlement 37J, Lucius told his various subordinates. Please occupy them as you see fit. I will attempt to reason with their maker. Captain Dashiell, his giant axe already in hand, nodded and gave a guttural grunt of acknowledgement. Swinging, he decapitated the nearest puppets. His lawyers began scribbling down charges and infractions on a number of forms, calling out, You'd better find yourselves good representation. Then they pulled their pistols. The scribe waited to the side in case he was needed. No one questioned his orders, just as it should be. Gunfire exploded from the barristers. The smell of burnt gunpowder filled the air. More puppets fell. Lucius glided through the woods, his footsteps silent. Behind him, Captain Dashiell shouted, and the sound of wood splintering reached the secretary. A vaguely man-shaped creature loomed out of the darkness at him. Lucius cleared his throat with purpose. Captain Dashiell broke through the branches, splitting the new puppet like firewood. Good man. With a gentle touch, Lucius removed the head of his cane, revealing the slender, razor-sharp blade attached to it. More constructs swarmed out of the forest. With the grace of a dancer and the speed of a hurricane, Lucius avoided their attacks, letting Dashiell dispatch them. From behind, more gunfire erupted from his lawyers. They were good shots in and outside of court. Holding the music box in his hand, Lucius let the dulcet notes call the creature he sought. Come not within the measure of my wrath. The voice floated on the air, stilted and artificial. Lucius beckoned the speaker to come closer as he tucked the tiny machine away in his coat. Gentle wooden clanking heralded the appearance of an enormous marionette with four arms. It no longer wore a mask or a cloak to hide what it was, as it did when it had tried to live among the humans. Lucius tisked at the oversized living puppet. Kaladi, he said, disappointed. In the night she awoke. She had been dreaming of the flowers and of the student, as well as of the tiresome lawyer. The living puppet greeted him in its emotionless way. Lucius tilted his head unperturbed. Many found lawyers tiresome. This was no novel insult. 
a new line, as a new play made it into your hands. Colori tipped its head in a mockery of Lucius' pose. The old people told fairy tales about goblins and sorcerers. Ah, you're reading the silly stories the new humans brought with them this time through the breach. Lucius returned his sword to its sheath in his cane. The mother took her spectacles and read aloud out of a large book, and the two girls listened as they sat and spun. You learned the stories from the children you turned into puppets. Lucius concluded. If only you'd absorbed information from a barrister. That would have been helpful. Collodi shook, rattling its limbs in an agitated, jerky movement. You have violated our agreement to take only children who would not be missed, Lucius reminded it. You've drawn too much attention to yourself for me to look the other way. The clatter of wooden joints and the clacking of its mouth accompanied Collodi's lifeless, monotonous voice. The music suddenly stopped. The puppet paused. You want your music? Here. Lucius tossed the music box to the puppet. He snatched it out of the air. It mimicked a dramatic actor as it said, There's nothing serious in mortality. All is but toys. You saw those Union members as toys, did you? That's all fine and good. But I very much doubt that you needed to turn several towns' worth of people into puppets to hear your music again, Lucius replied, unmoved by the other Neverborn. In sweet music is such art, killing care and grief of heart. Pretty word. But you've become a liability, Collodi. Lucius informed the puppet, exasperated. It doesn't matter what sustains you now. Collodi paced, distracted, visibly upset despite its immovable wooden face. As it moved, a soft glow escaped a pocket in its clothes. Soulstones. No wonder the creature could control so many puppets at once, seemingly without limit. Yet another complication. Lucius grimaced. Why do you hang down your head and look so lonely and woe-begone? The marionette's voice and accent changed as it replied to its own question. My master has forgotten all that I have done for him so many years. It switched its manner of speech yet again. Lord, what fools these mortals be! The puppet was making an attempt to explain itself, to justify its actions. Lucius didn't care. He could not abide inconvenience. He murmured so that Dashiell, in the midst of combat, would not hear him. I understand that you were lonely when the breach first closed, but that doesn't mean you can gallivant around, turning the mortals into puppets. Will you cease this nonsense? Collodi's wooden head shook from side to side. It thrust its hand out toward Lucius. Through the trees, more puppets click-clacked their way toward him. Dashiell continued to chop at the wooden constructs as they arrived. 
Lucius Canesword gave a metallic hiss and glinted in the moonlight as he pulled it from its sheath. You give me no choice, Collodi. He parried and stabbed with his sword. He lunged with perfect fencing form, but Collodi twisted away. With his other hand, he crushed into kindling a puppet that had dared come too close. He didn't often have a chance to use his inhuman strength in his guise as the right honorable Lucius Gustavius Fitzwilliam Matteson, and he spared a moment's thought to revel in the feeling. Still, he called out, Captain Dashwell, please concentrate on keeping these things out of my way. Sorry, boss, was the stoic reply. Several puppets flanked him, and as he fended them off, Collodi lashed out with its wooden appendages. The blades protruding from the puppet's hand slashed through Lucius' coat, leaving bloody tears in the fabric. I alone will soon finish off the giants, Collodi intoned, as he and his creations pummeled and sliced. You plan to take on everyone? How ambitious! Panting, Lucius fended off the marionettes, but began to lose ground. He gritted his teeth and blocked with his sword. Lashing out with his offhand, he kept the constructs at arm's length. While its other puppets kept Lucius busy, Collodi danced in close to attack the secretary and struck him in the face. Lucius' mask separated from its clasps and flew into the air, landing with a metallic thud against the forest floor. The air was cool and foreign on his face. Blood poured from a cut under his eye. Any time now, Captain, Lucius stated, flicking his gaze over to the man. Dashiell gaped at the secretary's mangled visage, a scarred and disfigured face that shocked all who saw it. Even McMorning had nearly flinched away at the sight of his finished work. He recalculated the likelihood of winning without Dashiell's help and scowled. He parried and dodged, trying to come up with a new plan of attack. A roar, accompanied by splintering wood, signaled Dashiell's return to the fight. Welcome back, Captain. Dashiell responded with a nod, but avoided looking directly at Lucius. Collodi moved in, slashing at the secretary with long knives that swung out from his limbs. Lucius blocked one, but the other stabbed through his shoulder. Collodi used it to bring him close. Curling his lips back, Lucius bared his teeth. The scars on his face pulled uncomfortably, but the pain just made his lips pull back further. Collodi tipped its head in confusion. Lucius held up his hand a glow seeping out from between his curled fingers. What wicked tricks are these? Collodi groaned. With a studied nonchalance, Lucius tossed the soul stones into the woods behind him, far from the puppet's grasp. Collodi seemed to flinch away. Or else certes ye be too dangerous. You are correct. I am dangerous. Without those precious rocks, the scales have shifted in my favor. You made a mistake, Collodi. Lucius dropped his cane sword to the ground with a thud and peeled off his gloves. He stretched out the muscles in his hands as dagger-like claws slowly extended from his fingertips. More puppets flung themselves at Lucius, but they were weak. Collodi was losing his focus. Dashiell took them out with ease. They crumpled within a few swings. Snarling, Lucius stalked forward, his face frozen in a smile. You will hinder me no more, puppet. 
Perhaps tonight I will light a cigar to your burning bones. Collodi stumbled back. Reaching out, Lucius dismantled the marionette joint by joint. The creature made pathetic mewling sounds not fit for a neverborn. Lucius viciously yanked arms and legs away from its body. Its mouth chattering, Collodi slowly sang, Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Not all, Lucius replied, as he tore the puppet's head from its neck. Even as he panted with the thrill and the exertion, he began to squeeze the wooden skull between his hands, watching as a crack appeared along the grain. Sir, a quiet voice interrupted. Lucius growled. Whipping his head around, he spied the scribe. The man held the golden lawyer's mask the secretary had lost in one hand, a new pair of gloves and a coat in the other. The others come this way, his loyal servant explained. Taking a deep breath, Lucius stood upright and smoothened the hairs of his powdered wig, composing himself. He fixed the mask back to his face and slid his hands into the gloves. The thin lambskin leather was soft, supple, and sumptuous, reminding him of luxury, civilization, sophistication, all the things he claimed to be. It also had the added benefit of literally wrapping his hands in death. The scribe returned Lucius' reassembled cane to him, helped him shrug into his new coat, and secreted Collodi's head into his satchel. Good man. Come, Captain, Lucius called. The hulking human loped toward him. I appreciate your prowess with your weapon in this conflict, Lucius said. Dashiell nodded. Lucius brushed his fingers against his mask, even more, I appreciate your discretion in this matter. Sure thing, boss. He was able to stare at the secretary again without grimacing. How would you feel if I were to put in a good word for you? Perhaps recommend a promotion with the guild guard. That would make you a commander, hmm? Lucius leaned on his cane and scrutinized Dashiell's every movement. The corner of the captain's mouth quirked up into what was almost a smile. I like the sound of that, sir. Excellent. Lucius marched away from the carnage he'd wrought, and back toward his other subordinates, with Dashiell and the scribe on his heels. We've taken care of our puppet, Secretary Matteson, Birmingham boasted, as soon as they came into view. I take it you were successful as well. Lucius adjusted his gloves. The perpetrator agreed to cease and desist. When we get back to the city, we can complete the citations we wrote. We also found some soul stones, which increases the severity of the punishment for the accused, Birmingham added. Lucius saw no indications that the lawyers had seen Collodi at all. How wonderfully convenient. Back to Malifaux, sir, Dashiell asked. Lucius took one last look around. Yes, I believe our work here is done. Impeccably dressed as always, Lucius entered the governor's manor. 
He narrowed his gaze at the electric bulbs with a soulless light devoid of any kind of allure. Matheson, a voice called out. He ignored it. Secretary, the voice gritted out. He turned, with a benevolent tilt to his head. His hands rested on the head of his newly cleaned cane. Miss Ortega, he greeted. She stalked around him, looking him up and down. You're looking quite alive. Your eyes do not deceive you. How did you so eloquently put it? Ah, yes. I told you so. How? she demanded, annoyed. What the hell was that out there, anyway? It's all in my report, Miss Ortega, he replied. Slipping around the woman, he made his way to the crown room. Muttering some choice words, she followed him. Mr. Jesse slapped him on the back as he entered. I heard you took care of whatever was going on in the Northern Hills. Good man. Lucius shrugged off his hand in disgust. Even Colin gave him a begrudging nod of respect. It was clear he still considered Lucius a rival. Perfect timing. Racina was just completing her summary of Lucius' report. According to Birmingham's report, it appears that one of the miners developed some strange powers, got his hands on some illicit soul stones, and decided to destroy several towns in the northern hills, doing considerable damage. Secretary Madison and his cadre charged him with a variety of crimes and executed him when he became hostile. Is that so? Marlowe's dark eyes slid over to Lucius. The report reflects events in the most accurate manner possible, Governor-General, Lucius replied, his tone bland. And why couldn't Perdita handle one rogue miner? Marlowe asked. Lucius lifted one shoulder. You will have to ask Miss Ortega. Marlowe's gaze took in Perdita. Well? She glowered. I hunt beasts with fangs and wings. You try tracking human footprints around these parts. Those eels are a damn nightmare. Christina added, Lawyers have a certain investigative insight that may have helped. Lucius gave her a small bow. It is most fortunate that we took Captain Dashiell with us, he deflected. Doing your job is nothing to get excited about. I expect more out of all of you, Marlow rumbled. Next report. Racina made a way around the table and held her hand out to Lucius. Thank you, Secretary, for taking care of this issue. It was a thorny one and was not getting any better by just leaving it alone. Not to mention the lives you saved. Marlow was being unnecessarily dismissive. Lucius returned her firm handshake. Well, the Governor-General is having to juggle any number of challenging projects these days. And making a mess out of it, Gracina muttered. With a small shrug, Lucius said, We are just doing our best to keep Malifaux running. Some, perhaps, have better fortune than others. Success speaks for itself, Mr. Secretary. If you ever need anything, please don't hesitate to ask. You're someone I want on my side. Christina gave him a decisive nod. I appreciate the high praise, Miss Yao. Other staffers congratulated him on his accomplishment. 
As a result, the power dynamic in the room tilted in a dramatic fashion. Under his mask, Lucius sneered. With no mask to hide his expression, Marlowe openly glared. How amusing. Lucius could now appreciate the challenge Marlowe brought to the game. Because if there was anything Secretary Matteson hated more than an irritating rival, it was boredom. As much as Marlowe's utter disregard for administrative hierarchy and his proficiency for leadership irked him, it kept Lucius on his toes, and he had finally shown a weakness. Lucius waited and watched. After a time, he withdrew to his own manner. When Lucius became secretary, he chose a large dwelling that impressed, but stayed just this side of ostentatious. It had the perfect facade that married classical design with contemporary architecture. It had served him well up until now. The secretary stepped into his marble foyer, greeted by the scribe, who took his cane and coat. The house, as per his preference, was silent, except for a grandfather clock that ticked like a ceaseless reminder. A perfume of leather, pine, and tobacco wafted on the air, giving the place a lived-in, human element. Artifice, but effective. Lucius' home in the city was a Spartan affair, with minimal furnishings of only the finest quality. He did concede to a shelf of cognac, bourbon, and cigars, all rapid ways to consume expert craftsmanship, years of work and wealth. With silent footsteps, he made his way to an unadorned door that appeared to lead to a servant's entrance or storeroom. The scribe met him there, carrying Collodi's repaired and polished head on a silver platter. Turning the doorknob with one hand, Lucius grabbed the wooden skull with the other. A dark, spiralling stone staircase that only by intermittent wall sconces greeted him. A slight draught teased him as it drifted by. He descended into the darkness. At the bottom of the stairs, shelves upon shelves filled the space. He made his way down one aisle. Prosthetic limbs, jewellery, helmets, weapons, dolls, musical instruments and other odd keepsakes had specific positions in his collection. Lucius placed Claudie's head onto a shelf with a wooden thump. It would sit between a butterfly pinned to a board under glass and a filigree candle holder in the shape of a swan for the foreseeable future. Claudie's eyes spun around in their sockets. His jaw loosened as if to speak. Ah, ah, ah. You stay quiet now, little kindling. It's not yet time for your next show, Lucius teased. Then he made his way to another part of his collection. Folders, files, and ledgers filled the shelves. It smelled musty, like decaying paper and ink. The files whispered under his touch as he ran his fingers over them, reveling in the power of each one. Cochrane, Hoffman, Justice. This was the one he wanted. Marlowe. He paged through the file, the papers rustling, Boring. Boring. Already known. Heavy footsteps reached the doorway. What do you have for me, Dashiell? Lucius asked, turning to greet his visitor. What you ask for, boss? 
The man handed him a large envelope filled with papers. More to add to the Marlowe file. Wonderful timing, Captain. I'll have to call you something else soon, hmm? You're dismissed. As Dashiell stomped his way out of Lucius' vault, the secretary began to leaf through the new documents. His mouth turned up in a vicious sneer. He tapped the paper with his finger. So, Marlowe, this is your secret. Your vulnerability. How unexpected. The Governor-General, while entertaining, had over the course of his short tenure become a bit of a liability himself. It was time for him to fall, and Lucius was just the architect to make it happen. When he finally took Marlowe down, it would be so satisfying. As far as what happened in the ensuing power struggle, well, only the cards would tell. it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.